Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's the end of September uh, 2021, and we're dealing with a lot of bad news uh, this year. And not only bad news, of course, associated with COVID, but the future of our planet, of our environment, of the natural world. Uh, yesterday, we had uh, Catherine Hayhoe. She's quite a distinguished uh, climate scientist on the show. Uh, she has a new book out, Saving Us. She's the chief scientist at the Nature Conservancy. Um, she believes that we can save ourselves by talking, but not everyone agrees um, the news has been so bad recently. A couple of days ago, announcement that 20 species have become extinct over the last year, including the ivory-billed uh, woodpecker, the creatures of our trees, a beautiful picture of a, a creature that no longer exists, as well as um, the Molokai creeper, another, um, uh, another species that's gone extinct. But some people are beginning to lose patience about talking. Uh, Greta Thunberg recently, the young uh, environmental activist, has severely critiqued what she calls the uh, the blah blah of um, of world leaders uh, Johnson and uh, Biden and Macron in France. People are beginning to lose patience with our ability to actually uh, confront the crisis uh, of uh, of global warming uh, and and of the natural world. Uh, my guest today on the show has a really wonderful new book out, uh, uh, Kinnery Webb, uh, MD. She's a doctor, but she's also an environmental activist. And I'm curious uh, to start her off. Uh, she's joining me. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious as uh, to what she thinks uh, about this debate uh, amongst... Um, environmental activists about whether or not we need to stop talking and whether uh, the blah blah uh, that world leaders are so skilled in uh, needs to be confronted head on. Uh, Kinari, as I said, uh, and, and I apologize if uh, you might pronounce your name correctly. You told me beforehand, but um, of course I always mangle it. How should I pronounce your name? You said it perfectly, Kinnery. Kinnery. Um, yeah. Uh, your new book, uh, Kinnery, is um, Guardian of the Trees, and it's a book about the crisis of our loss of trees, and of course, implicitly, or perhaps explicitly, the loss of the creature of the trees. Uh, pictures like this of, 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 of beautiful birds that have disappeared. Uh, what, what do you make of the debate so far? Well, I totally agree with, with Greta. You know, if the, our governments are just talking, talking, talking and not doing anything, not doing nearly enough to the scale of the problem. And in fact, when I look at the situation, I think we just won't make it if we rely on governments. So there, but there are different solutions. There are ways to go about doing this. And I believe it's time for humans all over the planet to begin to just partner together. And when we partner together, we can bring about incredible change very, very quickly. My book is actually a story of hope. And it's a story of hope 
at a time when it it does often feel like there is no hope. I I open the book actually with a story of my own experience when I was a very young child, somewhere between like 11 and 13, when I was riding on uh, my horse Pinto and he had this, um, you know, he runaway horse. He saw probably a snake and just bolted straight for the edge of the mesa. And it looked like we were both going to go off the cliff. And in the last seconds, I managed to stop him actually through a crazy maneuver. You can read the book to find out how I did it. Yeah. And you, um, uh, you describe this um, beautifully in the book. Uh, you have two near-death experiences, that one, and then you got stung uh, by a jellyfish that almost put you under as well. What what of those near-death experiences, Kennery, what have they taught you about fighting the crisis of the environment? See, that's the thing. I've learned you just don't give up. You don't give up even when it looks like there is no hope, when you are seconds from the edge of the cliff. And that's honestly where we are on this planet. And I don't think most people really get it yet that we are in the decisive decade. This is the time to fight. This is the time to bring about the great change, but we can do it. But I actually believe just as Greta Thunberg does, that if we're gonna do that, we have to do it by addressing the root causes. And one of the root causes that she identifies is addressing colonialism. Resources have been taken from rainforest communities all over the world for hundreds of years. If those resources do not flow back to them, we just won't make it. And I wanna give you an example of why that is. So I first went to Indonesia to study orangutans as a young woman, um, I was 21 years old. And I was just loving being in the forest and it was amazing, I mean, just the, biodiversity and the beauty and these giant, giant rainforest trees that can be like 22 stories tall. And then in the distance, I'm hearing these trees be logged, right? And they're, when they hit the ground, it's just like a little earthquake. It is so, it's just, it, it just felt like it was ripping my soul out. And I thought, why are these evil, horrible people doing this? You know, what is wrong? And, and then I got to know many of these people and I discovered that they were often logging to pay for access to healthcare. They didn't want to destroy the forest. They didn't want to lose this home that they knew was valuable, both for their own future and for the future of the planet. They just didn't have a choice. And when people are left in that position where they have no choice but to choose their short-term well-being over their long-term well-being, then the whole planet suffers. How central is the crisis of uh, the rainforests to the current situation in the West? Other headlines today from the Wall Street Journal about uh, the states, uh, the, in, in California, my state, the state's 10 largest fires have burnt a total of 22 million acres so far this year. Uh, we're even yeah. trying to, to use goats to prevent wildfires. I know you believe that um, that logging can, uh, especially in the Amazon, uh, make sense of also what's happening in California. So if there is a way of focusing on the crisis of the environment, we need to understand 
the destruction of the forest, which is the core of your book, Guardians of the Trees, which, of course, you are as a self-appointed guardian. Well, I'm like one of the many, many guardians, but most of yeah. But you're more effective than most, and we'll talk about your organization in a few minutes. But um, you believe that you know because everyone has a different take on. Well, it's because we drive too much, or it's because we don't eat the right foods. We 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 have too many cattle. But for you, it's about the forests, isn't it, or the lack of forests? It is about. But I won't say I'm just I'm not going to say burning fossil fuels is not is irrelevant or what we eat. No, I I take that. I'm not asking you to say anything like that. But what we don't realize is that even if we stopped burning all fossil fuels today, like not a single more fossil fuel was burned and we continued to lose the rainforests at the rate that we're losing them, it would still be game over for the human species. 80% of land-based emissions come from the loss of rainforests. Now, most people are not aware of how critical our rainforests are. Some people think of them as the lungs of the earth, and there are lots of good reasons to think about them that way. And some people think of them as the heart of the earth. And there's a lot of good reasons for that too, because they also cycle water around the planet. You were just talking about these wildfires in California, where I also live at the moment. And they're horrible. And the amount of emissions from these fires and the health impact of these fires is just horrific. And what we don't tend to think about is that the loss of the rainforest in the Amazon directly causes drought in the Northern Hemisphere. These, these, the rainforest actually causes rivers in the air that go all the way around the world. And so that's just one of the benefits of the forest. Of course, they also, all the trees suck down carbon from the atmosphere as they grow. And in fact, the forests of the world absorb a third of the pollution that we emit every year. So every time we lose forests, we not only lose the carbon that was in those trees that gets burned and then released into the atmosphere. But we also lose the beautiful benefit of those trees because they can continue to suck down carbon as the trees grow. And of course, I don't want us to just think about these forests as carbon or just water cycling. They're also contain 50% of the world's biodiversity. So what people don't often realize is that the well-being of the rainforest directly impacts your own well-being. It directly impacts the well-being of the whole planet. And when rainforest communities are suffering because of a long history of colonialism, and when they know exactly what the solutions are for addressing those problems, and yet they are not getting those solutions enacted, the whole world suffers. Canary, um... People will notice from your lower thirds, from your title, that you are an MD. You were trained at <laughs> Yale Medical School. How do you think the, the current environmental crisis, perhaps apocalypse, um, is affecting our mental health broadly? Uh, we had a, an English uh, writer called Lucy Jones on the show a couple of months ago. She has a really interesting new book out arguing that it's making us depressed, that an intimacy with the soil and with trees and with nature cheers us up. What's your take on that? As, as not only 
uh, an environmental activist, but also as a medical doctor? I think there's no question about that. And the data is extremely clear. Not only does is the environmental crisis something that is traumatizing all of us and especially young people as they look towards their future, but also the, you know, being in nature is healing for our souls. And the communities where I work in Indonesia and in Madagascar and Brazil talk about that. But it's true, just as true, you know, of the trees in my own neighborhood. It, it makes an enormous difference to have access to nature. And many people, it's part of this problem of externalization in our economic system, right? Where we don't take account of the value in a much broader sense of living nature. We only count the economic value that we can get for cutting it down. Well, I should say we, but usually a very few individuals get that benefit but the loss is to everyone. Um, and that's, that's just something, well, I would say we just won't make it if we don't begin to address that. If Who we do don't we blame here? It's, I, I know it's Go always ahead. easy to, to point fingers, uh, but one piece when I was researching this show uh, from the UK suggests that UK financiers are directly responsible for the dis direction of uh, the destruction of the rainforest, according uh, to the WWF, which is a, a reputable organization. Is this international capitalism to blame? We've had many shows about this, about the intimate relationship between this imminent environmental apocalypse and uh, globalized neoliberal capitalism. One person we had on the show few months ago, Tim Jackson, who imagines a life after capitalism, was particularly articulate on this front. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the work of Jackson. Yeah, and I do totally agree, right? There's no question. But it's a little bit more complicated than that, too. So if you look at the loss of rainforests, 30% is from clear cutting. It is from companies coming in and taking out large sections of land. But 69% of the loss of rainforest is actually from individuals going in and logging down trees. And those are usually rainforest communities themselves who care about the forest, who want to protect it, but just really don't have a choice. One woman told me, if anyone tells you that they have not logged to pay for health care, they are lying to you because there is no other way to get enough money for that. Now, in the broadest sense, of course, the fact that these communities have so few resources does have to do with a long history of capitalism and a long history of extraction. But it is also true that simply stopping the financing, which I'm not saying I don't agree with that, I fully agree with that, but of these logging companies, of these you know, cattle ranching companies, et cetera, that's essential and we need to stop that. But it won't solve the problem. We also need to do what I call radical listening, which is listen to rainforest communities, what the solutions are so that they will thrive and the forest will thrive. And we've had dramatic success doing that. Yeah, and to be clear, uh, sorry, this this idea of, of, of radical listening is, um, which you, you talk about, um, is the, 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 the foundation of, of your group, Health in Harmony, H-I-H. Yes. Tell me a little bit about Health in Harmony 
why you founded it and how it connects with the arguments that you're making in Guardians of the Trees. Well, I founded it because I got so frustrated with most of the large nonprofits, both in the uh, development sphere and in the conservation sphere, who were not listening to communities. And that, and in fact, coming in as outsiders in a very colonial manner and determining what they thought the solutions were. And like that experience that I had um, when in the year that I went to go study orangutans and finding out that people were logging to pay for healthcare, that is something as an outsider I never would have got. Of course, as soon as it was explained to me, it made total sense, right? But it's that intersection between we usually think about the health of the rainforest affects the health of humans, but the health of humans affects the health of the rainforest. We don't usually think about it in that direction. So what we did when I first um, went back to Indonesia after medical school, and I, I went to medical school because people told me about this intersection and I was like, whoa, okay, we got to think about this. Um, and then I, I went back to Indonesia and in our first site around this amazingly beautiful national park called Gunung Palung National Park, we did 400 hours of listening. And we asked the communities, we just each village, you know, all of the communities. So it's all listening the rather park. than conversation. Um, and, uh, and you're listening in particular to local communities. Um, Health in Harmony right. has a page on your uh, Indonesian group. So you're not That's coming right. in talking, you're coming in listening. That's right. And we ask people, we say, look, you all are guardians of this precious rainforest that is valuable to the whole world. What would you all need as a thank you from the world so that you can thrive and so that the forest can thrive? And what they said was, we need access to high quality, affordable healthcare, and we need training in organic farming. Again, something I never would have guessed. We did those things. 10 years later, dramatic impact. 90% drop in logging households. The rainforest, which had been just steadily being lost, we stabilized the loss of the primary forest. 52,000 acres of rainforest grew back, right? Habitat for orangutans and for all the other biodiversity expanded. And when you look at how much health and harmony, oh, and you had a 67% drop in infant mortality and across the board, you had improvements in human health. Yeah, and you're working, and, uh, you have another headline on your website about working in the Amazon for COVID relief. Yeah, right. So this is, it's always doing health. We do health, well, we do what the communities ask for. And almost invariably, they ask for improved access to healthcare. We haven't been anywhere I, in the I, world do you where feel that has part of a, obviously what you're doing is very unusual. You're very unusual. And as your book reveals your, your childhood, your background, your your, your life story, but do you feel part of a, a perhaps a broader movement? Um, perhaps some of the arguments in Kate Raworth's Donut Economics, yes. the oh, initiatives on rewilding. Uh, I've talked to Isabella Tree for this show. Is there something yes. going on that we, that we can't quite describe that represents yes. a, a new wave when it comes to environmental thinking? Yes, I think without question, Joanna Macy calls it the great turning, this as opposed to the great ending, right? And there we are, 
We're in either we do the great turning or we do the great ending. And this great turning is about understanding all of our interconnection and reversing many. So one of the reasons I shared so much so vulnerably in that book, in my book, Guardians of the Trees, is um, because I realized that the health of each of us individually, our own healing, our own, all these intergenerational wounds that have come down to us, healing that is also essential for doing the healing of the planet. And I see this change happening. I see it everywhere. And I, I believe we can make that great turning. I believe there is we a great deal of resistance as well. Yeah. As I said, um, I interviewed uh, yeah. uh, Catherine Hayhoe on the show yesterday, and she's very active on Twitter. And she writes about the kind of vitriol she's experienced. Uh, from climate deniers, people who are opposed to her, p people particularly, I think, more conservative. Does that worry you that that these issues are deeply divisive, that on one side everyone believes in one thing so clearly and on the other, there's no conversation, there's no ability for people to actually discuss this in a rational manner? There, there's a book I really love. It's uh, um, called Earth in Human Hands by David Greenspoon. And he talks about how like the earth is a living being and humans are the consciousness of the planet. And he says, you know, we don't all have to agree. It's just that we have to basically go in the same direction. He said, like, our brains work the same way. We don't all agree. Like all the neurons are not on board on something, right? Like, I'm going to do this podcast. Well, some of my neurons are going, are you kidding? That is a terrible idea. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and others of my neurons... In the majority of them are going, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. There are all these good reasons to do it, right? So these, this idea that they're always going to, there's always going to be part of us, as in the human species, who's going to be scared, who's going to want an old way of being. But it doesn't mean that we can't, as a group, still move forward with a new way of being. And I think kind of just accepting that there will always be naysayers and it's okay. We don't have to have a hundred percent of people agreeing. We just have to have enough of us that we make huge change. Yeah. I talked earlier about um, your group working uh, in the Amazon. Um, uh, the World yeah. Health Organization has featured um, your group as a model to address climate change. And no conversation about this is complete, of course, without mention of COVID. The map in the United States looks still very red. Um, how does your book and the crisis of COVID fit in to the, 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 the crisis, the existential crisis of, of, of the forests of trees? Well, the situation is a little different in different parts of the world. In the Amazon, where we are also now working, there's indigenous communities and uh, a type of traditional communities, these riverine communities who are in, live in the forest and protect the forest. And when you lose one family, you lose a huge impact on how much they can protect the forest. So protecting their health and their well-being is just like absolutely critical. One of my dear friends, Monica Nirmala, who is, uh, used to be the executive director of the program in Indonesia, where, of course, all of our staff are Indonesian. In Brazil, all the staff are Brazilian, and in Madagascar, all the staff are Mal Malagasy. But Monica said, 
you know, in the triage of the planet, we got to get these immunizations to the rainforest communities first. And she's totally right, right? Because they are some of the most important people on the planet. We need to protect their health so that they can protect the health of the whole world. So when we did this, you know, so we already do healthcare in all the communities where we work. So it is, um, it was quite easy and an absolutely necessary for us to immediately pivot to um, doing COVID relief work, working with the governments very closely, um, and also to, um, you know, to, to understand that if people are not doing well economically, that can also damage the forest. So we did a COVID stimulus response where we helped um, folks, previous loggers who might go back to logging, you know, we helped them particularly in like in growing seedlings and things like that to help weather this difficult time. Uh, Canary, uh, we had uh, Yanis Varoufakis on the show recently. He has a new book out, uh, a science fictional book called Another Now, Imagining a Better Time. You said at the beginning of this conversation that you're still quite optimistic. And at the end of the book, you imagine a better time. Uh, Yanis imagined 2036. Your, your imaginary future seemed 20, 30 years um, ahead of us. What, is, what, what could the world look like if we, if we face up to this existential crisis today and begin to fix it? We'll ever, it will never, of course, be entirely fixed and, it, and any fixes will bring their own problems. But what what will the world look like? How can we encourage people to jump on board this thing? Well, we're right in the middle of trying to create systems where that's easy to do, where you can partner with rainforest communities, where you together with them can see the impact of working hand in hand to follow exactly under the direction and control of the rainforest communities, what they see as the solutions for protecting the forest and seeing how fast and how quickly that can manifest. And I mean, I know every one of us can imagine like beautiful cities that are full of trees. We can imagine conserving water. We can imagine thinking as most indigenous people do seven generations into the future. We can begin to think that we can have economic systems like Cape Reward's beautiful donut economics, where we think about the floor, which is to say that everyone gets their needs met and the ceiling, what the planet can handle. And then we have this beautiful space in the middle where we're thriving. And I really believe that. That has been my own experience in my life. When I risk and step forward and dare to live a different kind of life, I actually have more energy, more happiness, more freedom, more all the things that I was afraid I would lose, I in fact get more of. And I, I re there is enough on our planet. There is enough that we can do this, that we can do restorative actions, that we can rebuild nature, that we can thrive where all of us thrive. And we, we won't, I, I think, we're so trapped in a belief in scarcity that we, we don't realize how much there is. I know so many incredibly wealthy people who are just 
feel like they don't have enough when they have more than enough and enough to share and enough to change their lives so that what they're doing is honoring our planet and honoring others. Kinnery, you end, you end the book with uh, what you call a declaration of interbeing. It's quite mm -hmm. short and sharp. Tell me about this declaration. Uh, you encourage everyone to have their own declaration and for each of us to sign it. Why can that also help clean things up? It is as Joanna Macy talks about this great turning, right? I believe that it, it begins in our own souls. It begins in a, in a willingness to make those changes for ourselves. And when we begin the deep healing work inside and then we do the thriving, right? Like, and I'm not, you don't have to go live in the rainforest or what. Every person has a piece of the puzzle to give. And first, there's all kinds of ways to give. You know, there's all kinds of actions that lead towards a healing planet. And I believe they're all build on each other. And I just ask each person to go inside and to ask that still quiet voice, what is my piece in the puzzle? It's interesting that um, you, you seem very much in sync with Hey Ho. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work or her book, uh, Saving Not it. yet, uh, but I want but to. She's explicitly religious. She's, in fact, married to a Christian uh, 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 evangelist in, uh, in Texas. Your book, Guardians of the Trees, is less overly, overtly religious. But talking to you, I wouldn't say there's a religiosity to your discourse, but certainly a spirituality. Can your message um, be successful with people who aren't spiritual, who don't appreciate the trees, who aren't able to see the, the dignity, the beauty, the everness of, of trees and of nature? Is there anyone who can't? Well, Heho would say the same about religion, but there are people, unfortunately, Kinnery. What, what, what can they do? Do they need to go out? Do they need to go on a walk, embrace a tree? That's what I would say. If you really spend time in nature and, like, quiet your mind. So I spent a year in the rainforest. And I don't know if you've ever been on a silent retreat, but they're, they're rough. They're kind of hard, right? Well, I was like on a year-long silent retreat <laughs> where yeah. I spent all day, every day. Well, I'm an interviewer, in so I'm not sure if I'd earn any money if I was on a silent retreat. But... <laughs> That's right. Well, maybe you shouldn't do that, but um, that might not be your role in the world. But, um, but as when I first was there, all of the chatter of my mind was just like so active and all the memories and the pain and the, uh, you know, I could, I could not see the world around me, but slowly over time, those calmed. And then it was like, wow, look at what is around me. And I think that is part of the healing of nature is it gives you space to let your own mind calm. Well, that's what I experienced. I have to say, reading your book, there's a certain wow about it. It's calming. You're calming, Canary. It's a congratulations on the book. I, it's 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 Thank beautifully you. written, um, and I and I think it's going to be a big success. It's just that I think anyone who cares about any of these issues need to read it. It's a very unusual book, and you're an unusual person with an unusual narrative. 
So congratulations on all that. You've you've mentioned a number of books in addition to your book. Uh, in these strange times, what else might people read to make sense of the world? Clearly, you're a, a very literary person as well, very well read in many areas. Well, um, The Divide is a book I'm really loving right now. That's um, a, let me just grab it for just a second. Um, here we go. Jason Hickel, A Brief Guide to Global Inequality and Yeah, Solutions. Jason's actually, be, oh. Jason's been on the show too. Yeah, he's good. And he, he's very much in sync with Tim Jackson on this stuff. Yeah, and Braiding Sweet, Sweetgrass is another book I'm just absolutely loving about the wisdom of indigenous uh, communities by, by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Kimmerer? <laughs> it's hard for me to say that name. But yeah, those are two of my favorite books at the moment. Well, uh, Kennery Webb, uh, the author of Guardian of the Trees, really um, unusual book, wonderful narrative, begins with two near-death experiences, uh, describes uh, the jungles of Borneo and Indonesia and many other parts of the world with not only a sort of a, a moral acuity, but also a, a, a poetic sensibility. So congratulations on the book. Congratulations on everything you're doing uh, in your life in terms of saving the forests. And I hope we'll get you back on the show again to talk more about this because it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. Thank you.